0: Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service an invitation to the world. Each week, we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So I don't know if y'all um, watched SNL last night, but I thought that uh, Dave Chappelle did an incredible job with his monologue at the front of it, um, reminding people about what it means to be, you know, to not be uh, a, a sore winner, and talking about how divided and hard and broken our nation is right now. Um, one of the things that really struck me, actually, that like really broke my heart, is he said um, he he asked. Uh, do you remember what the world, what, what it was like before Corona? Because I do, there was a mass shooting every week. he said, Which, um, you know, of course, Dave Chappelle delivered better than I could. But it's a reminder to me of just how much work there is to be done in the world and just how much injustice there is in the community that surrounds us. And I get that right now this sounds like a really awkward way to start a sermon about gratitude, especially with the beautiful words of scripture that Ken just wrote about um, being joyful in all things, to be praying continually, to be giving thanks in all circumstances. But that's because that's the reality of what it means to be um, thankful and joyful in all circumstances. It's not some sort of light and flowery call for everything to just be okay and to glaze over the reality of our lives it's a it's a call to live deeply in the world in the same kind of way that uh you know even older books of our scriptures describe and like in the book of ecclesiastes right to that um there's a season for all things and the best we can do is to eat drink be merry uh, because we don't know what tomorrow might bring um and it's that kind of work, that kind of presence that can take in the experiences that we're having, can take in the reality of the world in which we live, and continue to find joy, to find reasons to feast, and to celebrate uh, in the midst of those things. Because the reality is, that is what gives us life. Uh, Over the last couple, uh, over the last week, I've been reading um, the book, the, The Book of Joy, um... Which isn't written by them but is really the reflections of the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu after a week of interviews the author puts together um, really just uh, their thoughts on what it means to be um, joyful in the midst of all circumstances and if you don't know their histories the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu they both have a lot uh, that they could use and they would be justified in holding resentment for and anger and frustration, and they could really easily be cynical about the world, right? Uh, the Dalai Lama is currently uh, unable to go home because of his advocacy and because the, the, of the, the threats of violence against against him and his life. He is a refugee who is also a spiritual leader for a country that he will never be able to step foot in again. Uh, Desmond Tutu, uh, you know, experienced Apartheid South Africa and was imprisoned and um, experienced horrible and heinous things. And uh, yet now they are both able to speak of an abundance of joy. And so this book is really trying to understand how they can do that. Because many of us, you know, we get a flat tire and our whole week is ruined, right? (laughs) How do these people who have experienced some genuine hard pain find joy in their life and they have a lot of things that they talk about in that book but there's a whole chapter devoted to the idea of gratitude and in that uh, chapter on gratitude uh, there's a there's another conversation had with a guy named anthony ray hinton who was imprisoned on death row in solitary confinement For most of his 30 years behind bars, Uh, he was wrongfully accused, he was put on death row, and he stayed in a 5x7 cell for 30 years. And when he came out, when they finally had a a jury that was able to, um, you know, drop all charges, acknowledge his innocence and everything else, you know, news reporters swarmed around him. Uh, you know, asking how he was going to live his life and asking about his anger, asking about his, uh, uh, his, his potential pursuit of um, uh, uh, retaliating against the people who had put him in jail. And one of the first things that he told them, at least according to this book, is um, he said, the world didn't give you your joy. So the world can't take your joy from you. He said, if I'm angry and unforgiving, they will have taken the rest of my life. He'd already lost 30 years in prison. And his reflection was if I stayed angry and unforgiving, they will have taken the rest of my life. And then in another conversation, you know, he'd been um, driving a cab, um, that when he started finding a job that was his work. And another interviewer talked to him, and uh, in the interview he said that, um, you know, I only have $3.50 to my name in my pocket right now, and uh, and I, it's, it's the happiest I've ever been. And the reporter apparently was confused and didn't really know what to do, and he responded and said, I don't walk around saying, man, I ain't got a dollar in my pocket. I don't, he said, I don't care about having a dollar in my pocket. What I care about is that I have been blessed to see the sun rise. Do you know how many people who had money that did not get up this morning? So which is better, to have a billion dollars and not wake up or to be broke and wake up? And he said, I'll take being broke and wake up every day. Again, I I love this. This uh, may be uh, a mantra for many of us. The world didn't give you your joy. Do not let it take your joy from you. In many ways, that's the same kind of call that Paul was giving to the Thessalonians. Um, This first letter to the Thessalonians, many scholars think, is the first uh, letter, the earliest um, part of the New Testament that we have probably written just like 20 years after Jesus's death and resurrection to one of the first communities that Paul goes to speak to with this core group of, um, of of friends in that in that first century. You can read about that story in the 17th chapter of Acts if you're interested in knowing how Paul got to know the people of Thessalonica. But after so he he had come to Thessalonica, he had befriended all these people. He had seen a uh, massive community of people convert to this new way, following after Jesus and learning to live in this new faith that God is bringing a new kingdom. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were people across the the spectrums of all aspects of society in the city and they began to worship and they began to look forward to the to the return of jesus and they began to think about what it would mean for jesus to be the king rather than the emperor to be the king and as soon as they started asking questions like that in public spaces persecution came at them and came at them hard so hard in fact that we see in the 17th chapter of acts that paul and silas and his uh, companions were forced to flee the city in order to escape potential death, which meant that all the people in Thessalonica had to experience that oppression for themselves. They had to experience that pain and that violence and that, that experience of alienation from their uh, family and their former friends who had aligned themselves around this Roman idea of, of power. And instead, they had, uh, they had to create their own sense of community. And they had to care for one another and they had to look out for one another's safety. So, like, this letter isn't written to just a group of, you know, to a church that was just sort of doing okay in the Middle East. It wasn't written to like a North Decatur where, like, yeah, we get frustrated sometimes by our politics. It was written to uh, the, the people who were experienced, who were experiencing the absolute worst. Of their nation's power against them this is a letter written to people on the margins supporting them in their pursuit of following after Christ that for me as a white cis straight dude in America I just get to overhear to learn how to be grateful but also to learn how to be prophetic in because that's what these people are having to learn well Paul finds out from Timothy who sends a report to him and said the people in Thessalonica for all of the fear and all of the worry and all of the chaos and all of the anguish that their community was going through their faith was thriving more and more people were being converted to this to this way of life, even as they were experiencing persecution, because they were living dramatically different than the world around them. They weren't conforming to this ideal of, of power over one another. They were submitting themselves to one another in absolute love, and that became the transformative power for this whole community. And they we're loving one another and caring for one another and showing one another grace and so paul just offered these offers these words of encouragement it's a, a celebration of their faithfulness and then a challenge just to grow even deeper to grow and uh, not just in the relationships with one another but to grow in the embodiment of christ's love to develop lives that are consistent with jesus's teachings and so the the whole fifth chapter the last part of uh, this book, of for this uh, letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to the Thessalonians, is essentially a description of what the values of the community of faith should be. Respect one another. Respect those who are working with you. Right. Don't start something if there isn't anything. Also, warn those who are being disorderly. This is where I think... Um, it's, it's important for us to be able to have hard conversations with our family and with our friends who are along the political spectrum. When we start talking about other people as though they aren't people, or we start talking about other people as though they're the enemy, we start to diminish the presence of Christ in them and in us. And so learning to uh, warn one another when we're starting to uh, dehumanize the other person is an important thing, and if that comes with some tension and some angst, that's okay because the first ideal is respect for those working with you, and then to warn those who are becoming disorderly in this process. The overarching pursuit is of love, justice, mercy, compassion, and when people are starting to operate outside of that, the presence of Christ starts to diminish he continues he says comfort the discouraged help the weak be patient with everyone do not repay wrong for wrong pursue goodness like, if this isn't exactly what i think all of us need to hear on the tale of an incredibly vitriolic political season i think we need to hear it now if you're being disorderly take a step back Remember what this is about. It isn't about helping those in power. It isn't about helping yourself. It's about helping the weak. It's about comforting those who've become discouraged. It's about drawing people in so that they don't feel alienated, so that they don't become the um, uh, uh, the 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 caricature of politics that we've created for one another. We have to. We have to. Care for one another so that we don't alienate one another, so that we don't end up being so far on one another's poles that we're calling for the same kind of military uh, response from opposite poles. It's crazy. It's crazy. Our primary thing. Respect those working with you. Warn those who are becoming disorderly. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient. Don't pay wrong for wrong. Pursue goodness, and then those final two verses, to find joy in all things, pray continually, and give thanks in every situation. Those are the projects of Christendom. That is the work for all of us who are on the way of Christ, for all of us who are pursuing the presence of Christ in the world, for all of us who claim to be a part of God's kingdom. Those are our core fundamental values, helping the weak, patience, uh, comforting those who are discouraged, not repaying wrong for wrong, pursuing goodness in all things, right? That sounds an awful lot like our general rules, do no harm, do good, stay in love with God or attend to the ordinances of God. In all things, we're meant to be a united community of faith. The only reason someone should uh, ever leave the community of faith is when they are no longer interested in pursuing Christ, they are no longer interested in pursuing compassion, no longer interested in pursuing hope, no longer interested in pursuing love. And what we can do is tell them you are being disorderly to comfort them in their discouragement. But overall, our work is to help those who are weak to find patience. To do no harm, to do good, and to stay in love with God, and all of that is wrapped up in the idea of finding gratitude. You know, um, there's been several people I've talked to over the last couple of weeks who are able to name gratitude as the reason they now have faith. It's incredible. You know, we did a study on gratitude as a um, as a church a couple. Uh, I guess about a month and a half ago. We spent a couple weeks talking specifically about gratitude, and this was actually a memory verse that was given to us, this um, passage from 1 Thessalonians. And um, uh, in that conversation, and then also in conversations after the fact, I heard multiple people say, when I was asking them about what their experience of gratitude was, they said, when I started walking out of my door, able to name the things that I'm grateful for even when I didn't trust God even when I didn't really believe in God when I finally was able to start naming the things I was grateful for my faith started coming back to me and maybe that's just it maybe we've become so entrenched in our political ideals that we've forgotten how to name the things that we're grateful for And that might be the first step that each of us needs to take. In order to find our faith and to find our footing again so that we can live earnestly, hopefully lovingly in the world. The first thing we might need to do is list 10 things that we're grateful for as we're getting out of bed. And I wonder. Can you name them? What are 10 things that you are grateful for? I'm so interested in this. In fact, I would love it if you would add this to the chat next to this video. Maybe not all 10, but if you would name two things that you are grateful for in the chat on Facebook, two things that you are grateful for in the chat on YouTube, or if you're watching this later, two things that you are grateful for, send it to me an email. Send it to me in a direct message. I want to know what you're grateful for. Because Lord knows, I know what everybody's angry about. We all know what everybody's angry about. But I wonder if we could name what we're grateful for. And I wonder if that practice might help us to live with more gratitude and more joy in the world. It is what the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu both name as essential aspects of their faith. So I wonder if we could incorporate it in ours. What are two things that you are grateful for? Let me know. I'd love to hear it. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.